I was just thinking as, as we were worshiping that, you know, many of us have loved ones. In fact, I would say all of us have people we love who are gathered around the throne in heaven praising the Lord. And when we do the same, that we're doing exactly what they're doing, I find great comfort in that. just good and particularly we say thank you for leaning in you know last Sunday this service was a little emptier than this so thank you for being here today but beyond that Rachel and I were talking about just this morning that that this service was half of what second service was last week not that it's about numbers I don't mean to imply that but this service leaned in in power and worship and, and I just want to say thank you for that, right? That it matters that, we, that when we're worshiping Jesus that we're, that we're just laying it all out. And um, it's not about us, it's about him. But thank you for being those people who would lean in and who would worship well and who would seek the Lord uh, together. That makes what I do next powerful. Not because of what I do, but because your hearts are open and receptive and hungry. As the uh, parable of the seeds, or the parable of the sower would tell us in the New Testament. So I'm just rambling, sorry. <laughs> We're in a series called Real ID. We're discovering not only who we are, but who we are in Christ. And last week... We were talking about the real evidence of spiritual maturity, and we said basically that it comes down to being like Jesus, that, that Christ-likeness comes down to being like Christ. And so part of what happens here in the book of Colossians as we're studying, and it happens in the book of Ephesians where, where these texts parallel each other, and it actually it happens in a lot of Paul's writings, is that there is a movement from, from what we believe about Jesus to how we love like Jesus, to how that plays out in our everyday interactions with each other. And the text is going to do that exact thing today. So I'm just going to reread for us a little bit, backing up to verse, uh, let's start Colossians 3.12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's who you are, that's your identity, that's who God says you are, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. That literally says put up with one another. <laughs> we have to do a lot of that. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Or as it literally says, be gracious as the Lord was gracious to you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now that next verses just continue on and we're going to come back to them in a few weeks but they say let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful and let the message of Christ dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms hymns and songs from the spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is that section that is saying, this is how we love. Love like this, like act like Christ. Embrace others like Christ. Serve others like Christ. Be gracious like Christ. Be full of worship of the Father and for us, the Son and the Spirit like Christ. And then verse 18, sort of out of nowhere, but not out of nowhere, says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I mean, that, that's a hard turn. Right? I'm really surprised they didn't put a new chapter here, because... Because, you know, sometimes the chapter-verse split-ups just make no sense. And sometimes it seems like they put them in the right place at the right time. 
And, you know, the old joke is that when they were breaking the Bible into chapters and verses, that the guy who's doing it was riding along on a horse. And every time the horse kind of went up and down, you just ended up with a kadink, kadink, kadink. And that's where, that's where they marked the next verse or the next chapter. But this is a, this looks like a hard right turn that, or left turn, whichever way you prefer, that, that we're talking about how to love like Christ in the community of faith, and we're talking about the peace of Christ and the gratitude towards Christ and all of those things, and then suddenly wives, husbands, and it, it, it just keeps going. Wives, husbands, children's, fathers, slaves, masters. Here's why it's not a hard right turn. Because he's saying all of that love that we're talking about, all of that grace we're talking about, all of that putting up with one another we're talking about, here's how it plays out in real life. Wives, husbands, children, parents, even slaves and masters, and we'll get uh, to that section in time. So today I want to take time and I want to talk about the one thing that's outlined here that will improve your marriage and mine every single day. And I realize as soon as I say that, somebody says, hey, this message must not apply to me. What if I'm single? So I want to tell you two things that churches don't often say, and I don't think these are blanks. Don't, don't worry about filling this stuff in. But, but churches often don't say these things, and, and I, I just want to make sure that we get what we're getting at here. One, single does not mean second class in the church, right? If you're single, we love you. Is there something to learn here? Absolutely. Absolutely. There is always something in the Word to speak to us. We're going to come around to masters and slaves in a few weeks. Super uncomfortable subject. We're going to be straight about what it's saying. We're going to talk about why racism is wrong, as we've done before. We're going to talk about why, why it's good that slavery was outlawed. But there's something to be learned there. History's like that, isn't it? And we're literally watching history unfold around the world right now. And it's always true, but we're more tuned into it when there's war. While we're at it, people say to me, this must be the end, right, Brian? Roar, wars and rumors of wars. People have been saying this must be it for 2,000 years. All right? Could it be? Absolutely. Is it? I don't know. Live ready, trust Jesus, love like Jesus loves. Right? That's all I know to say in that sense. So single doesn't mean second class. If you're single, we're glad you're here. And I'm going to go a step beyond that. Divorced doesn't mean church isn't for you. Widowed and widower doesn't mean church isn't for you. All the more we need each other. That the church is a picture of the people of Christ leaning in to love one another and care, one another, care for one another. And we've talked about when, when we're here, it's not our differences that are the focus. It is Jesus himself. When it comes down to marriage, though, I am reminded very much so that we often don't understand each other. Let's just real quick. Who's been married more than uh, 30 years? That's awesome. More than 35? Awesome. More than 40? Very cool. More than 45? All right. All right. So I got two sets of hands going. More than 50? Yeah, I like this. Okay. More than 55? Yeah. Oh, we could turn this into an auction. Do I hear 60? So, so you tell me, 60 years, are there times where you misunderstand each other? Yes, exactly. So I was reading a story this week. One man was, uh, 
wanting to love his wife well, and her birthday was coming up. And he said, honey, what would you like for your birthday? And here's what he heard. She said what he heard. I'd love to be six again. He said, that's great. I'll plan the day. I've got it. I'll get it all figured out. Her birthday, she woke up. He got her up bright and early. They went off to a local theme park. He put her on every fast ride in the park, right? Right? With names like Death Slide and Screaming Loop and Wall of Fear and... You know, they did everything there was. Five hours later, she sort of staggered out of the theme park. Her head's reeling a little bit. Stomach had been turned upside down on the things that do that. And he drove her to McDonald's. They went to McDonald's. They got a Happy Meal. In fact, they might have got two because that Happy Meal burger, you know, is... Which, by the way, these days, you know, we were in a McDonald's uh, over on the coast a little bit ago. And I was like... McDonald's, burger, fries, drink, $10. This is nuts. This is nuts. So he took her to McDonald's, spent more than he wanted to spend, right? They, they ate everything up. They got done at McDonald's, and he took her to the movies, right? At the movies, they got popcorn, they got candy, they got a big Coke, they enjoyed Star Wars or whatever the movie was, because what would every six-year-old want to see? You know, it would be a Marvel thing or a Star Wars thing or a, a something like that. And they enjoyed all of it. Finally, she wobbled home and her, she collapsed into bed. And her husband leaned over and said, oh, what was it like to be six again? And she opened an eye and looked at him and said, is that what this was? And he said, yes, you said you wanted to be six again. And she said, I said, I'd like to be a size six again. <laughs> this is how we often misunderstand each other. You don't have to be married to get how this works, right? That, that this plays out in everyday life. All the time. It plays out at work. It plays out in church. It plays out uh, with those we're most intimate with in this world. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That word makes us really uncomfortable, submit. I'll talk about it in a second. Husbands, love your wives. That word does not make us uncomfortable. But maybe it should. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Simple words. But if I'm honest, not the easiest of words to put into practice consistently. For 30 years or 60 years. Or one year. What are we getting at today? Here it is. This is the one thing this is all about. Marriage is made to be a mirror of Christ's love and Christ's faithfulness. Christ's sacrifice and Christ's servanthood. Marriage is made to be a mirror of Christ's love, faithfulness, sacrifice, and servanthood. There is very much a connection from this text to everything that came before, that we are to be loving and gracious, and this is how it plays out in a home. This is how Christians are to live out the love and grace of Christ between husband and wife. And then eventually he's going to tell us, we'll get to it next week, parents and kids. And then it'll keep going from there. Sacrificial servanthood was modeled by Christ. Is that, it, 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 a lot of you have been believers for a long time. Maybe somebody here isn't a believer yet. Maybe you're watching online and you're not a believer yet. But we've got a lot of people who've been a believer for a long time. Would anybody disagree that sacrificial servanthood isn't... Would, would, would anybody say that's not the way of Christ? Because Jesus was... He was always grasping for how everything could be about Him, right? No. He was always trying to assert his authority and control other people and make them do what he wanted, right? No, Jesus was never like washing feet. 
or laying down his life or touching the untouchable or loving people that society had rejected. Christ was, it turns out he was always doing those kinds of things. He was always laying down his life. Sacrificial servanthood wasn't just about the cross. It was about daily life. And when we get married, we stand before God, and usually friends and family, and some guy like me reads some scripture, and we say some vows. And those vows vary a lot. And when I sit down with couples, and we're working on weddings, and we talk about vows, and I, I just talk about those vows need to represent the Jesus way, the God way of sacrifice and lifetime commitment. And as long as they do that, I did traditional, non-traditional, we can paint that picture the way it needs to be painted. But if I'm involved in the wedding, then I assume you want God involved in the wedding. And if you want God involved in the wedding, then, then it's got to be those things. Faithfulness and sacrifice and love and laying down your life. And some marriages are lost from the beginning because they don't start on this foundation. And others are lost because they lose this sense of sacrificial servanthood. Somewhere along the way. The two key verbs here are submit and love. The word submit makes us fearful. It sounds very hierarchical. We, we hear it and, and we hear something like subjugate or lower than or less valuable. But I would remind you that when Jesus taught, he was never talking about less valuable Neither was he talking about fighting for authority. He certainly wasn't in that mind of really arguing over who's the boss. At the end of the day, God is. That's what Jesus was getting at. You and I are not the God of this world. And yet in, in, in marriage, husbands and wives often are trying to fight over like, who's... Who's in control of one another? Or who's going to get their way or their say? And so Christians come to a text like this and they go, oh, well, this settles it. She's supposed to lay down her say and he's supposed to get it. Except it turns right around and says, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That there's a laying down in what he does just as much as what she does. That there is a giving up of your own way that is called for here. In fact, the greater sacrifice that's called for is the one called for by husbands. Because the word love here is the same word for God so loved the world, the same word for all these reflections of a willful act to lay down your life the way Christ does. Literally, Christ died on the cross for us. That's what husbands are called to. So anytime these texts that use the word submit are ever used to say, you do what I say when I say is a misuse of Scripture. Now, does that mean that it's the opposite, right? That, that wives are supposed to say, you do what I say when I say? That completely misses the heart of all of this. This word, submit, is used in a military context to talk about drawing up the groups together in order for battle to form or marshal an array to the troops line up with their commanding officer. Some will say line up under their commanding officer. Others, I think, might use the image of behind their commanding officer. Again, this starts to make us uncomfortable. Because we read hierarchy and who's in charge and who's the commander and who's the boss. And I think we're missing the point. To submit is to lay aside those kinds of arguments. Submitting yourself is the opposite of self-assertion, 
of self-independence, of self-determination, and the opposite of self-satisfaction. But likewise, love is to put aside what is best for self with a sense, if we're going to be Christ-like guys, with a love that is undeserved, that is unselfish, that is unconditional, and is unending. The problem is that we're still very human. Aren't we? Would anybody disagree that we're stubborn? We're just stubborn. Individually, we just are. This is an actual transcript of a radio conversation from, I don't know, 25 or so years ago between a U.S. naval ship that happened with Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland. The Americans radioed to these Canadians and said, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Canadians responded, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The Canadians, no, I say again, you divert your course. You ever had an argument like this in your marriage? Of course you have. Now, if if you're not married... You ever had an an argument like this with anyone? Brother, sister, pastor, you know. All right. So the Americans respond back. This is all caps in my notes. You know what that means when you're writing, right? This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. The Canadians wrote back, this is a lighthouse, it's your call. (laughs) You know, I mean, us Americans have have always sort of had a sense of, of we're first, and a sense of authority about us or rebelling against authority. You could say it's, it's baked into the DNA of, you know, no king of England is going to tell us what to do. And yet here, we want to take a text like this and make it an argument about authority. When in reality, the call of Christ is to lay down our authority to serve. I'm not saying there's not a right place for authority at all. I'm not saying that there aren't tough times where sometimes a tough call has to be made. But there is a mutual, Christ-honoring, sacrificial servanthood that is called for here. And it's actually outlining for us what the rest of Scripture will say. Romans Chapter 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly, sisterly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Same thing. That's not about marriage. That's about the church. This is the way. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is the way. John 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is the way. Ephesians 5 sounds abundantly like Colossians 3. It tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And part of being filled with the Spirit is speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, and singing and making music with your hearts to the Lord, and always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of, the reverence, out of reverence for Christ. In fact, in Ephesians 5, the command submitting to one another goes both ways. Not just husband and wife, it goes always across the church. There's so many texts, so many places you can go in the New Testament. The disciples, hey, 
Hey guys, what were you arguing about, Jesus says, and nothing. It's like, come on, I know, just fess up. We were arguing about who, who's the greatest. Hmm. Like all the time, this was going on. Regularly, this was a thing. And it happens in our relationships all the time. That we're, we're arguing over who's going to get their way or who's the greatest or who's in charge. Just to be practical today, I want to see if we can bring this home in ways that help very much so. And so let's just say that in every marriage, there's a, there's a, there's a relational bank account that you have. I don't mean your bank account at the bank. I, I mean in every marriage that there is a, there, there's, there's an account that exists between the two of you that we could call a relational bank account. And you're always either depositing into that bank account or making withdrawals out of that bank account. Or if you don't like the bank account analogy, just call it a bucket, right? That there's a relational bucket and you're always putting in, you're always taking out. And the problem becomes when you're taking out more than is being put in, Right? So we look at each other, and we look at ourselves, and we look in the mirror, and we think, and this is what we do, us guys, we go, well, I have certain needs, so I'm going to try to meet those needs in my wife. And our wives look at us, and they go, we have certain needs, and we're going to try to meet those needs in our husband. And in trying to meet our own needs in each other, we end up meeting nobody's needs, and we end up like the couple I was talking about at the beginning. Like, I'd like to be, I'd like to be six again. So let's talk about what she needs most, and let's talk about what he needs most, and let's just say, let's be gracious enough to admit that I'm speaking generally. I'm, not, I'm doing my best not to stereotype. But generally speaking, there are things she gets insecure about, and generally speaking, there are things he gets insecure about. And I want to talk about what those things are and how we meet those needs by laying down our lives for each other. Is that fair? Okay, so generally speaking, what she needs most. Generally speaking, she feels insecure when she's insecure about being loved as she is. Because she is judged constantly by the world and likely judged even more so by herself. And so what she needs most is a husband who makes her feel secure in his love and tender affection. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You might say, Brian, are you always this way with your wife? No. No. Should I be? Yeah. Am I always? No. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. She needs to know that she is secure in your love. She needs to know that you understand her in tender ways. A woman loses faith when she no longer believes that you want to be loving and tender in understanding her. When we're affectionate with this sense of sacrifice and love and tenderness, and I am partly talking about romance, but this is more than romance, we are communicating that you are important to me, that I will protect you and I will care for you, that I'm concerned about the problems we face and that I will be there when you need me. Does that sound roughly sort of right, ladies? I'm a guy, but does that sound roughly sort of right? So there are two keys, I think, for us guys in trying to meet the needs of our wives. And I'm just going to be straight. Can we be straight? Ladies, would you like me to be straight towards your husbands? Guys, here's how we do that. Number one, grow up and be a man who sacrifices, 
not a boy who plays games. Be a man who sacrifices, not a boy who plays games. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians says it a little different. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is nothing that is gamey about that. There is nothing that is... that is about you, about that. That this comes down to being a person who is mature, who is sacrificial, who lives out that sacrificial servanthood, who gives love when it isn't deserved, that isn't self-oriented, that's unconditional. That's not easy to do, fellas. And this will drive you back to your need for Jesus every single day. I think the second key for us guys is to come home every day to show up and engage emotionally with our families. If I look at the two biggest problems I see, generally speaking, of men in our world when it comes to loving our wives as Christ loved the church, one of them is, men, we don't want to grow up anymore. We want to remain perpetual kids. And two, we want the home to be the place where we come home and disengage Because we're so engaged out there doing our role in the world that we get so exhausted and we just want to come home and disengage and enjoy ourselves. I said I was going to be straight, didn't I? To come home and disengage from everybody at home and go into the man cave and just enjoy ourselves the rest of the night is, there's nothing Christ-like about that. And can't you picture Jesus and the disciples get back to Mark's home or wherever, the, where, wherever they celebrated Passover and the Lord's Supper? And Jesus said, fellas, before we do anything else, can you wash your own feet while I head over to the Jesus cave? Right? I'm going to head over to the man cave and chill a little bit. I've been meeting needs all day long. I'm a little tired right now. You guys wash one another's feet and we'll come back to it. When I feel like it, I'll come back and we'll do that whole institute the Lord's Supper thing and get going on talking about sacrifice. But right now, I just need to, like, chill out. Now, am am I saying that there's not a place to come home and decompress? I'm I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that our wives feel secure when we're engaged at home. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. When we come home and we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm depleted and I'm out, you know how easy it is to be harsh? When I look at when I do this wrong and I think about when I'm harsh, it's usually when I've reached the end of my energy. And I'm still relying on myself to try to make things go the way I want them to go. That's not very Christ-like. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is a big ask, fellas. And it's the call of Christ. And some of you, as we established moments ago, have lived that way for a whole lot more years than I have. And I applaud that. And I want to learn from that. I think it's the value of community when we're living where there are 20-year-olds among us and 90-year-olds among us and everything in between is that we get heroes that get to... And all of you who have been married for 50, 60 years, you'd go, I'm no hero. But those of us that have been, you know, we're kids in the game. I'm still a kid at 30, right? Right, 30 years marriage. I'm still a kid. And just, okay, maybe not, but just, you know... Okay, at least thank you for the Dr. Pepper you gave me when I turned whatever I turned. But, but I'm still a kid, right? And some of you have been going at this a whole lot longer than I have, and I just see your sacrifice, and I acknowledge that, and I say thank you for that, because that encourages me to live more that way. 
I read that uh, H. Norman Wright, a professor, once said, everyone who comes into marriage is an amateur, and no couple who marries is ever compatible. It's a lifelong process of becoming compatible. We want a match made in heaven. His point is that it's not a match made in heaven. It's a match made here. While we learn to lay down our lives for one another. J. Allen Peterson once wrote, I do not know whether or not your marriage was made in heaven, but I do know that all the maintenance work is done on earth. Fellas, Let's just let's just say this straight, fellas. The guys always want a theme, a wife that engages physically at home. I just want to remind us that our wives want us to engage emotionally and conversationally and mentally and spiritually. And I will admit, those aren't things I'm always great at. And that drives me back to my need for Jesus. So what does he need most? If, if she, generally speaking, has some insecurity about being loved as she is, then I'm going to say that men struggle in a similar but different way because men are insecure too. And you get two fellows around each other, and, and you know what will we talk about, guys? Two guys get together. They don't go for coffee, they go for beers or something else, right? right? So two guys get together, and they will never talk about how they're doing internally, right? That there is, there's not a sense of two guys getting together and like, how are you emotionally right now? Right? It's more like, hey, what about those ducks or beavers? Or how is, how is the weather? Or what do you think about the news or the politics? Or we'll stay in that realm all day long. Because there are things that as guys, we don't want to go there. But when we go there, more than not, what we're insecure about is how we're really doing as husbands or dads or providers or even workers in our career. We struggle with feelings of insecurity just as much as women do. But for us, our feeling of insecurity roots in a feeling that we are inadequate That we're not living up to the call of God in the garden to tend to the garden and do what God has called us to do. Women are better at being than us men are. You want to bond men? Get them to go to a game. Get them to paint the building. Get them to dig holes for a fence. Men will bond all day long doing those things. Put us at a, 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 at a tea on Father's Day, and we would be so out of place. Right, fellas? And yet we struggle with insecurity just as much as our female friends. So what does he need? He needs a wife who makes him feel secure in her belief in him and her desire for him. Wives, submit to your husbands or submit yourselves to your husbands is as fitting in the Lord. When there is a sense that, <clears throat> let's, let's think of submission as saying, I have your back, that I'm laying down my life for you. When he feels respected in these ways, it's wind in his sails. And when he feels disrespected in these ways, it shuts him down. It makes him want to go to the man cave. It makes him disengage. Is blame okay here? Not at all. This isn't about blaming each other. This is about learning how to lay down our lives for one another. A lot of men will say that they'd rather be not loved than not respected. That's not to say that he doesn't need both. It is to say that... And this, these insecurities play on our sinfulness. And it's very easy to see. Because in both cases, 
what I'm getting at is I'm not comfortable being me. That I'm not sure I'm loved as I am. That I'm not sure I'm adequate as I am. And the reality is we all struggle with that feeling because we're not okay as we are. We do fall short and it takes the love of Christ to love us as we are and grow us to where we need to be. And I want to be clear about that. Wives, your husband's never going to be able to play Christ's role in your life. And husbands, your wife's never going to be able to play Christ's role in your life. When we ask our spouse to take on the role of Christ in our life, we're doing something unfair to our spouse. His greatest need is to know that you believe in him and have desire for him. Let's, let's try this just for a second. I realize what time it is, but how long can you hold your breath? I'd say let's hold our breaths for a minute, but I can't do it. So let's hold our breaths for like 15 seconds, okay? Ready, go. Starting to feel the need for oxygen yet? Yeah, you're better than I am. I got a little weak lungs, you know. I, I, I'm an asthmatic. Right, I, 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 I get 10, 15 seconds in and I'm like, oh, I'm struggling a little bit here. So here's the thing. When your lungs begin to be hungry for oxygen, that's how our relational bank account starves for this belief that we are loved as we are, that, that our husbands can be tender in that love for us, or that, <laughs> that as husbands that we are loved as we are, we are believed in and desired. So let's be straight again. What do, what do husbands really need? What are the keys here? I think number one, a husband desires for his wife to be his encourager more than his critic. The wind in his sails more than the person putting out his fire. I realize that's maybe mixed metaphors. But, but we as men really long to know that somebody's in our camp, has our back, and believes in us. Does that mean he'll be perfect? This is the unconditional love side of things. One other key. I would, I would tell you ladies, be his partner, not his parent. Be his partner, not his parent. Now, you remember that a while ago I said, husbands, uh, grow up and be men who sacrifice. Right? This... These two things go together, right? You can't act like a boy the rest of your life and not expect to be parented. But the flip side is, once we have kids, it's easy, ladies, to be in nurturer mode and mom mode and pick-up mode and get-things-done mode and... and and, and, and it's very, very easy when he slides in the door at some point in the day, and you slide in the door from whatever point in the day, and to just, you tell the kids, like, you do this, and you do this, and you tell him, you do that. And pretty soon he starts to feel like he's just one of the kids. So he starts to act like it. Which, ladies, infuriates you, right? So be his partner, right? It, Genesis 2, when God made marriage, it says for Adam, no suitable helper was found. It doesn't say no suitable parent was found. Can you imagine Eve just freshly created in the garden? I mean, they're still pure at this point, so naked, felt no shame. Those, those kinds. And Eve is it's just kind of like, well, honey, if you would, if you'd just pick your leaves up over there. 
This is honestly hard because it calls both of us to lay down our lives for one another. And every marriage will benefit from just these last two things, fighting for each other, not with each other. I've said that before, but I think it's worth reminding us. Fighting for each other, not with each other. Genesis and the book of Ephesians, and for that matter, Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, say, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery, because I'm talking about Christ and the church, that our marriages are a mirror of Christ and his church and the way we lie, down, lie our lives down for one another, and that there is meant to be this unity in our marriages. And you've got to fight for that unity. But the fighting is not with each other. The fighting is a battle in yourself. And with temptation. And it's frankly a spiritual battle. To learn to lay down your life for one another. The second is to forgive each other as the Lord forgave you. These are the two big F's for marriage. If you've been married for 30 years, 60 years, maybe even five years, you often feel like there's some F's in your marriage. You want the big F's to be fighting for each other, not with each other, and forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you. Boy, I tell you, it's easy to fall into the trap of, I'll forgive them when I feel like it. I'll forgive them when they deserve it. I'll forgive you when you... When you apologize the way I want you to. Forgiveness and grace have to be a part of the equation. Because without it, we just withdraw a little more, and withdraw a little more, and withdraw a little more. And we lay down our lives a little less, and a little less, and a little less. And eventually, everything that Christ is about in a marriage grows cold. So it takes a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of forgiveness. And I will certainly say, I've been shown that by you as your pastor over the years when we talk about church. And <laughs> I don't know, is it fair to say your pastor has to show you some of that forgiveness and grace over the years, right? right? That, that part of being unified and going together on God's mission is that we're gracious to one another. That we, what did he say? Bear with one, put up with one another. Sometimes the grace just needs to happen on the front side, not on the after we had the big blow up side. It's the letting it go before it ever becomes a problem. You say, but I don't feel very capable of that. Like laying down my life, like being Christ-like. I don't feel very capable of that. Welcome to the club. And welcome to the church. Where we're called to follow Jesus, who is our example of how to lay down our lives. You guys are phenomenal. I know you want to live this way. I know it's a challenge. And I know... That for some of us, there are hurts in just this regard. And I would encourage you, wherever your hurts are, this is the season to lean into Jesus. That said, we always end with two prayers. One is a prayer of salvation. The other is a prayer of application. And then this invitation is this sense of leaning in to Jesus. And if you need that today, I hope you will. For the very first time, maybe you need salvation. Maybe you need the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. And if that's you, would you pray with me even online right here, right now? Dear Jesus, I don't deserve you, but I need you. So please forgive my sin. Please take over my life. And please make me like you. I believe 
died for me. That you rose again. That you're alive today. So live in me. Take over my life. And be my God, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. If that's you and you prayed to follow Christ for the very first time, I'd love it if you'd let us know. You might tell somebody around you. You might online let me know on a digital communication card. You might email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. We'd love to celebrate that, to talk more about what it means to lean into Jesus. And maybe you're already a Christ follower, and you need some leaning into Jesus today. Because maybe the hurt... I know this is to be true. For some of you, it's that your spouse is with him. And we need the comfort of leaning in. For some of you, the hurt is that you and your spouse are at war. For some of us, it's just that we're, we're distracted. We're not even caught up in thinking about where Jesus is because we're too busy doing our stuff. Maybe you'd pray this prayer of application with me and lean into Jesus. Dear Jesus, thank you for our church, for our singles, for our divorcees, for our widows and widowers, and for those who are married. May we all live your love and your grace. And I pray for you to be seen as we are your mirror in love, faithfulness, sacrifice, and servanthood. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 He's good, isn't he? He's good. I should sure love you guys. As you go today, I want to remind you that we'd love to hear from you. Again, digital communication cards online, physical communication cards in the back of the room. As we think about turning the corner towards this last you know, quarter of the year, I would challenge us to really lean in spiritually. Right? We are better together than we are alone. That operates at every level. Right? We're better together in our families. We're better together in our church. We're better together than we are alone. And so thank you for leaning in today and being here. And thank you for your sacrificial giving. And again, if you're a guest today, please know that your giving is not what we're after. But those of us consider Harvest Our Home, we'll talk in the coming weeks about how we lean in and giving and end the year strong, how we lean in in time and serve the Lord well, how we lean in and love and love our community and our neighborhood well. There's much to come that God is doing. Thank you for leaning in. I love you guys. I'll see you uh, this week, next week, hopefully next week. I'll be here. And not, not everybody's here every week, right? That's good. I'll see you next week. I love you guys. We're dismissed. <laughs>